0: Hey guys! Welcome to this episode of Refractory My Christianity. I'm happy you are here! Uh, This episode we'll be talking to Keith Nestor, a former Protestant pastor of 22 years, and then he converted to becoming Catholic. We'll be touching on his journey a little bit while also touching on the rosary, this devotion that he dove into and why he got into it. He wrote a book called Unpacking the Rosary, which I highly recommend. I really enjoyed that book to better dive in and understand the rosary and how to meditate on the different mysteries of the rosary. There's so many things that we get into that dive dynamics of converting to catholicism especially when you are a protestant pastor for so long and i really love this conversation i was very nervous for this conversation because i've been following keith for a while but i highly recommend keith's youtube channel just search keith Nestor. you'll be able to find the two one he does a live rosary the other one is his normal channel where he does different catholic videos so i highly recommend those both channels but before you go check him out let's listen to this video so uh here we go Hey guys, I'm here with uh, Keith Nestor. Uh, thank you, Keith, for coming on to the podcast. I know this is, takes a lot of time out of your day. Uh, uh, I remember reaching out to you on Twitter about people I want to interview starting this podcast, and you were so kind enough to come on. May have been because you were first in the list. I'm not quite sure, but... It was totally um, that. <laughs> it was definitely, definitely that, not out of the goodness of your heart, no, but... it
1: was completely self-serving. I wanted people <laughs> to think, wow, Keith, that Keith, he's a good guy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um <laughs> But thank you uh, for coming on, and I actually stumbled across you with your Pints interview, okay. and and I just dove into your content uh, on YouTube because I really liked the way that you presented how you came to the Catholic faith and how you kind of presented apologetics, even though you're not really – you don't consider yourself an apologetic person, but the, the fact that it's more down-to-earth and you were just speaking how you were thinking, and it, I kind of related to that uh, more on the – on that level and for people that don't know you you want to give a brief summary you were a former protestant pastor and you made this whole conversion uh to the catholic faith
1: yeah so i was raised you know methodist my dad was a pastor and so i grew up really not knowing anything about the catholic church and in um you know i went into ministry when i was about 20 years old and spent you know all of my adult life up till when i was you know in, in 2017, I joined the Catholic church. So like 22 years of my life in Protestant ministry. And um, so, you know, I, <clears throat> when I became Catholic, I never had any thoughts of doing this kind of ministry. You know, I wasn't going to be like a book writer or a podcaster or YouTube. Any, none, none of that stuff was really on my radar. It all just kind of happened as a result of just a couple of talks that I gave um, by people who said, Hey, will you come and just share a little bit about your experience? And when I gave those talks, you know, it felt good to to do that, but there was res- the response to that um, really led to all of this. And now, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I've, I've written two books um, and I have a couple of podcasts, a YouTube channel, I travel around and give talks and do a, a rosary ministry every day. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty active and pretty busy with things, but I'm a convert to the faith. You know, I grew up, way outside Catholicism, but I found the Catholic church, um, kind of by accident through, a a a guy I met who knew his faith and all the things that I thought I knew about the Catholic faith. He basically blew that up and through a long series of events and, and, uh, different things, eventually I came to see the truth of the faith and converted.
0: And I think that that was actually a really interesting part of your, your journey as a whole is the fact that when you approached, um, this individual, Devon, um, that's yeah. his name if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you approached him with the idea of converting him to becoming Protestant, and I thought it was a, a good showcase of why Catholics need to have an understanding of their faith because it, me personally – I'm a cradle Catholic growing up, and uh, if you came to me at that time – well, I probably would have been pretty young at that time. But still, if if somebody came to me at that time – You might not have even been
1: born yet, Adam.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But if somebody came to me at that time or during that period, I would have no clue how to answer a lot of the the questions that Protestants throw um, our way because I – it wasn't really inculcated in in the Catholic faith so much. I would go to what we called CCD classes, which was like every week as a young kid. But you're like as a young kid, you just want to get out of there because your your parents are they they showcase like oh we just want to get to mass and get out of there. And yeah. It's not really inundated with the Bible and, and Bible study as well. So you didn't really have that uh, person to look to of why this is important. So that naturally led me to fall fall away, which then. Brought me into Protestant circles, which uh, I said on this podcast before. I actually appreciated going to those churches because it showed me their love of the Bible, which then made me love reading the Bible more, and then now and then diving more into the richness, as you call the treasures of the Catholic faith, and just how just overwhelming, also, but how beautiful the the Catholic faith is as a whole. And I, I think I wanted to talk talk to you about like the um your conversion process and you it sounded like it was a kind of a, a tug of war because you're growing up with i think you mentioned before in previous podcasts it's like anything but catholic is normally the the protestant um view on things and why do you think that is the case where they they'll be fine if you go to orthodoxy so so to speak but if it's it's just the catholic faith is normally where they draw the line
1: well, I think people are fine with orthodoxy because it's not as well known in the Protestant world like they're, they're just like what's that, you know, but mm-hmm. if you really you know, I remember when Hank Hanger off the Bible Answer Man became orthodox. Um everyone was like what's that, but then I remember like John MacArthur wrote an article about it and talked about how orthodoxy was this cult um mm-hmm. that didn't believe the gospel and I'm and even back then I was like are you serious? Like the the orthodox church that's you know as, as old as the Catholic church to a certain degree, you know, like they're a cult. So, but the whole, anything but Catholic deal, I think that has so much to do with the misconceptions that people have about the Catholic faith. And, you know, Protestants often look at each other as though they're just sort of different flavors of the same type of, of, you know, thing ultimately, but Catholicism is somehow removed from that. It's totally different because Catholics don't just have these, strange beliefs they have like different things that they do and don't do they don't have contraception and they you know have all these different prayers that are so weird and they're people are just taught from the beginning that there's something wrong with catholicism so i think that's why that's why people have that view um so it, it makes it challenging to get to get around
0: and is that like uh where it, it sounds like the the Protestantism doesn't have um like a, a solid foundation of where the authority is drawn from, and th- is that why you foresee a lot in you hear with pr- Protestant denominations is church hopping, or they go to different churches, is because they just they're they're basing it on the, the individual pastor of whether or not they like it. Um And I think you mentioned that you never fell home in a specific denomination as well. It, it, was that sort of your inclination too? Is that it? nothing felt kind of sedentary with whatever you were
1: doing? Well, I think, okay, there's a lot there. So first of all, I think, you know, Protestants are going to look at most of them. Most of them are going to say, if you say, well, what's the basis of your faith? They're going to say the Bible. They're going to say that. Okay. But what what that automatically means is a particular interpretation of the Bible according to their um, you know, their beliefs. So if 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 all of Protestantism truly had the same authority, then there wouldn't be multiple denominations. There would just be Protestantism. And that would be it. There'd be Catholicism, there'd be Orthodoxy, and then there would be Protestant. And all the Protestants would have the same doctrine, the same everything, right? They might have different musical styles or things like that. But there wouldn't be this Incredible divergence of theological opinions and and all of these things in Protestantism. If truly there was one authority, so whenever Protestants try to use that against Catholics, to me, when they're like, "Oh, well, my authority is the Bible," I, I'm not buying that because I just I just because I, I I understand what that means. You know, I used to be that, and I understand that that there's so many different ways that Protestants interpret Scripture and apply Scripture that if you just simply say well i have the bible and the holy spirit that that just doesn't cut it because then you're then what you're really saying is you alone have the bible and the holy spirit so because i think everybody would agree adam that god does not contradict himself and the holy spirit is not schizophrenic and there's there's only one truth really so if any protestant person says well, my beliefs are based on the Bible and the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't matter if another person is Catholic, Orthodox, or another type of Protestant. If they disagree with that view at all, then then there's going to be a problem there. So when a Protestant says that, what they mean is, I alone have the truth through the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Now, people shopping around for churches, I think is a completely different issue. I don't think— 95% of Protestants that are church shopping are doing so because of doctrinal reasons. I mean, there are some, but I think most Protestants that are shopping around looking for church-to-church are looking for community. They're looking for the type of worship experience that they enjoy and that relates to them. They're looking for things for their kids to do. They're looking for things that are convenient or, or things like that. I don't think the average person is sitting in a, you know, evangelical free church and it's going, you know, I really need to find a church that that is more solid on infant baptism. So I'm going to become a, you know, a Lutheran or a Presbyterian. Um so th- like that's pretty rare. I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen. But most of the time people are just like, yeah, I just wasn't being fed. There's these weird ambiguous things they'll say. this wasn't connecting. I wasn't being fed. What it ultimately boils down to is it wasn't working for me in my experience. So I got to find a new experience. I got to find something that that is is uh working for me better. And that usually is revolved around their preferences and themselves. Is that
0: uh, do you think that's a, a seeping in of the uh, secular society nowadays where you have a lot of uh focus on um the the self and you have a lot of focus on what makes you feel happy instead of being say obedient to say this larger Catholic church, for instance, or this larger authority structure. Do you think that has anything to deal with it? Or is that just the, just the nature of people?
1: Oh, I, well, I think it's both. I think, I think it for sure is the nature of people. I mean, you don't have to teach somebody to be selfish. Uh, they just, we, we just come that way. <laughs> and, and I think though, when the culture is always putting those messages forth about, you know, Hey, you should be happy and this and that. Well, what happens in, in a lot of church situations is, um, people think, okay, well I have to, you know, the number one goal is to reach more people. So I have to reach them in ways that are going to, to feed that, that need that they have for self affirmation or for these experiences. So it's like, you know, the churches, I mean, I would argue the Catholic church, the Orthodox church don't do this. Um, as much probably hardly at all but but i I would say a lot of protestantism churches different churches they will leverage that mindset to get people in the door so they will appeal to people from a worldly perspective in order to draw them in and then you know under some kind of auspices of whatever preach the gospel to them so they will make their churches more worldly more appealing, less really. I mean, when I was coming up that it was in the, the, the movement of the um, seeker sensitive movement, which mm. was all about trying to strip away things that offended people's, um, religious triggers. So people that are out in the world that they're just like, they're, they they, they are interested in learning about God, but they don't want anything to do with church. So what do we do? Well, we're going to make our church look as little and seem as little like a church that we possibly can. And all of this is done intentionally. So it's like, okay, we're going to take down the cross. We're going to take down the stained glass windows. We're going to make our our worship centers look more like a conference center or a concert venue. We're going to structure our church so that it appeals to to things in the world that are drawing people in. So we have coffee shops. We have concerts. We have plays houses for kids. We have, you know, music that's like the world. We have all these things that is going to appeal to that that person's cultural sense. And we bring them in basically to say, no, church doesn't have to be, you know, lame and boring and, and you know, irrelevant. The big word is relevance, right? But then we think, okay, well, but we'll give them the gospel message. And I understand that thinking. I really do. Because, you know, I think that there is something to be said about being a missionary and going into cultures and relating to people, but that's different. Like in Catholicism, the Catholic church is, of course, the the king of that, of going into the c- cultures and evangelizing the cultures. But the Catholic church doesn't say, hey, we're going to take the mass and make this look like, um, you know, a rock concert or uh a Ted talk with a band, you know, we're not going to do that because this is the Holy mass. This is about the Lord. This is so, so, and I know there's a lot of pushback with people that are to take things in the church and make them more modern or whatever, but in, in process, you don't have that hang up. You don't have the liturgy. You don't have these things that you're chained to. So, Hey, why not? Right. It's all on the table. So the the consequence of that is people come into what they perceive to be Christianity with this very self-focused mindset where it's all about me, you know, and it's all about what I, what, what, you know, and, and the gospel is easy. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is say this. You don't even have to officially join our church. You just, you know, we're here for you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, which can turn into, well, Jesus is all about you. He's all about you. He's all about, you. and then when they start to get into the deeper things of the, of the gospel of discipleship and of suffering, there can be this, this disconnect because they came into it having everything catered to their flesh and yet now when you get into the gospel and you realize this message is hard people freak out man and they're, they 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 just go okay wait a second something's just not right here so they either bolt or they you know try to soften that message or they have a radical conversion and something changes but that's one of the problems with this whole turning our worship into an exercise in a seeker sensitive model.
0: Mm. And I think, uh, I, I was actually reading your book, uh, unpacking the mysteries of the rosary, which I, I really love. Cause well, thank I've you. got, I've gotten into that devotion. Um, which we can get to in a little bit. But I think this quote from it was actually kind of ties in with this of making a a sacrifice. And I just wanted to share it. So I said, for King Jesus to reign means there can be no higher authority. There can be no part of you that submits to another kingdom or another king. And the truth is sometimes human beings functions as their own kings. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, and no one can stop us. If you want Jesus to be our king, we must sacrifice membership in every other kingdom. And I just thought that was a beautiful way of putting it and how if we're giving into our flesh, constantly just giving into our say pleasures or things that are pleasurable when you're going to church, you're not really sacrificing anything for him, right? It it should be a little bit of a burden, right? It, it's not going to be completely
1: burdenless. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and here's the thing, Adam. Like the people of God have never lived like that until very recently in human history. You know, the 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 Jews worshiped with sacrifice, they worshiped with suffering. They worshiped in spite of a lot of things, and so did the early Christians. So has all of Christianity until very recently. It's not until very recently has there been any kind of Christianity that's that's tried to make Christianity, you know, easy.
0: Yeah, and you see that all throughout the, the the Bible as well. God has a high demand for the people that follow them, or follow Him, and that that just makes that makes sense. It's not gonna it's not gonna be easy, since especially since we fell away, it's not gonna be an easy process getting right. back. Even though Jesus made it easier for us, but it's still gonna be a, a difficult uh, process. But um, to, to get back to your conversion as a whole, I. I thought it was touching and it, it kind of ties into your love of the, the rosary now but i thought it was touching your love of mary and how she uh, gradually guided you to the church and i wonder like if you wanted to talk about that more because there was an experience that you talked about where you're, you're going to be preaching about Mary and yeah. you, it ends up uh, causing you to weep and you feel very uh, emotional. And if you want to dive more into that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I didn't realize what was going on at the time that, that she was doing that, but I had seen things over the years that had drawn me closer to her. And um, when I was in the process of believing more and more things about Catholicism, I was kind of in the process where I was like the part of the process where there were there were way more things I embraced than rejected with Catholicism, but I still wasn't sure about Mary. And then it came time to, for me to preach that sermon series in my in my my congregation. Um, it was Advent, and I was getting ready to preach this sermon on Luke chapter one. You know, the Annunciation, and. Man, I tell you, it, it just was overwhelming to me. It was it was this powerful experience where every time I would read about her in the text and write about, I just begin to cry. And I just felt like this comforting presence with me as I was working through that story with new eyes. And it was it was powerful. And I and I feel like that just sort of was an example of how it was no longer about my thoughts anymore and my objections and the arguments and rationalizations and whatever it was now like okay i feel like i'm being pulled into this relationship and it was really really beautiful
0: yeah and it it it, um i feel like this is something that i've sort of grown to appreciate is um what the blessed mother does for us and gently guides us and is sort of like an intercessory. Person, just because that's sort of what the Queen Mother does, you see that throughout the throughout the Bible, um and it, it's something that I, it, when you were talking about it, it made me dive more into um researching more, and uh, me being a software engineer, I like I have to like this logical brain, and then you start picking down out the pieces of like, oh, she is the new Eve. You could sort of see that yeah. that progression. She is the the new Ark of the Covenant. That seemed Pretty obvious to me be, just because the fact that she was bearing Jesus. And it's, it, it, I just don't understand when I see a lot of the Protestants out there that talk so negatively uh, about her or try to downplay her role. And a simple thing in my down to earth <laughs> mindset is let's not talk bad about the mother that brought in our Lord. That just seems like, even in today's society, if you talk bad about somebody else's mother, you're, they, they won't like you so so to speak so maybe don't do that with mary and it is i i just don't maybe you can help me understand why they
1: reduce the emphasis on mary well i don't think they're talking i don't think they mean to talk bad about mary i think if you press them they would say well you're the ones that are talking bad about mary because you're doing something she would never want you to do mm. So they, it's not like they're saying, "Oh, Mary was a bad person" or this or that. They're they're just denying the things that that Catholicism teaches about the Virgin Mary, and they don't understand it. So they are leery of that. So because in, in Protestantism there is there's no category for veneration or for any type of of connection with 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 uh, the saints like like what Catholicism has. So. They're they're very and if and if they don't see something about Mary, I would say, I would say that is explicitly taught in the Bible. According to them, then they're going to reject it. So so they they wouldn't look at it as oh we're going to talk bad about Jesus' mom. They would never say that. They but they will say you guys go too far. You take this out of out of context. This isn't biblical. All of those things. But Catholics, because they love Mary so much, they hear stuff like that and they're they you know. We can kind of mm-hmm. react like, hey, you're dissing my mom, okay? Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're meaning to do that. I think they're just trying to, in their own mind, keep things within the, the guardrails of what they consider to be biblical Christianity. The problem with that is they are importing a certain way of reading the Bible onto that, and they're looking at that in a historical vacuum and a theological vacuum, they're not giving any any understanding or weight to typology. They're not they're not at all interested in any version of the scriptures that contradict their position. So when you talk to them about Genesis three fifteen and Mary's connection to, to, to that as the woman who has enmity with the serpent, meaning that she's she's an enemy of the devil. You know, we were reading the gospel this morning, or in, in the in the the readings this morning, in in First in, uh, John where he talks about whoever whoever um, sins belongs to the devil, right? Well, so if you're saying that Mary at any point in her life sinned, then there was a point in time when she belonged to the devil. But that you could make the case that that contradicts what the Bible says, okay? They don't wanna hear about Revelation chapter 12 where she's seen in heaven that, oh, that can't be Mary. I've had so many people to me or say that to me, that can't be Mary. And I'm like, why not? It's a woman who gives birth to the king. Who is that? Literally, <laughs> that is marriage, right? But but they don't they don't want to hear it. They're so closed off. And when we talk about full of grace, they they don't know what to do with that. They're like, well, you know, my Bible says highly favored. So that must mean what does that mean? What does highly favored mean? So I'm always like, well, look at the Greek words and let's talk about what the Bible actually says. But they they don't want to do that because they're afraid that somehow they're gonna justify. Mary worship, which is not what Catholics do anyway, but they don't have a category for what Catholics do. So it's either she's like every other person, or we believe that she is God. And when we try Mm. to, I can't tell you how many times I've had people respond to my videos Mm. or say something to me like, well, you know, Mary was just a woman like us. She wasn't God. She's not divine. So stop. And, and, And I go, you're right. She she is not God. She's not divine. I wouldn't say she's a woman like us, but she's 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 not God. She's a creature. And they kind of sometimes will go, okay, well then, that's not. Are you sure that's not what Catholics believe, right? Mm-hmm. So, a lot of it is they're importing their their version of biblical exegesis into the, that situation, and they're completely ignoring history, because mm. you know I, I like to remind them that. You know Martin Luther and John Calvin, John Wesley, a lot of these these reformed guys, they all had devotion to the Blessed Mother, and they believed a lot of the things that Catholics believe about her that Protestants don't. So, sometimes what I will do in those conversations when someone says, "Well, you know, why do Catholics believe that Mary was sinless?" I will say, "Well, that's the historic teaching of Christianity. Why did some Protestants abandon that view, even after the Reformation?" Because that wasn't what the Reformers taught. If Martin, you know, Martin Luther wouldn't, have, he didn't teach that. John Calvin didn't teach that. So even, even the guys that led the way out of the Catholic Church, they brought that with them. So later on down the line, somewhere, I don't know where, somewhere down the road, somebody decided, hey, we need to depart from these guys even more. So what's that based on? Well, again, show me in the Bible, right? It's an it's a endless loop. Mm-hmm. of my version of the bible in a vacuum is the only version
0: yeah maybe i should clarify i'm not talking about all protestants talking down of, yeah. about mary but it's probably because i've been spent i spend too much time uh, seeing people on social media just i, I just, social media is great for certain things but sometimes it's these type of discussions can be a little bit of uh, oh, a oh no doubt powder keg yeah. Um, yeah especially when you're touching on something like this um and that's what it sounds like when you're talking about when you talk to other Protestants, it's better to probably communicate on a one-to-one level. What, In terms of your conversion, was Mary the biggest hang-up, or was there something else that was the a stumbling block for well, you?
1: I think I had multiple hang-ups all along the way. They just sort of was like you show up to this conversation with all the hang-ups, okay? Yeah. And then one by one they kind of get resolved. So then what you do is you you give ground and you go, okay, I can accept the Catholic view of the intercession of the saints, but come on, the infallibility of the Pope, there's no way. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of work through that. And you go, okay, well, I can accept, you know, that most of the way, but there's no way about purgatory and that's kind of what my experience was i mean my, my first real hang-ups i think had to do with with a misconception that i didn't think catholics understood the gospel because like a lot of protestants i believed that the catholic church taught that salvation was more about human works and rituals than it was about jesus and that was immediately a turnoff to me about what I perceived the Catholic church to be. Now that wasn't based on any real information. That was just my own misconception. So when I started to kind of go, okay, wait a minute, Catholics do believe in the gospel. They do believe that we're saved by grace through faith, just not through faith alone. And that we, our salvation comes through us, not by our own works, but by the, the the blood of Christ shed on the cross and his resurrection. Okay. I can get behind that. Okay. Well, now we got to talk about baptism. Now we're going to talk about the sacraments. Okay, well, wait a minute. I don't know about that. Well, we worked through all these things. So it was kind of like one by one by one. But if you had, if I had to say what was the hardest thing for me to accept from a doctrinal perspective, I, I don't think it was Mary. I don't think it was the saints. I don't think it was the Pope. I think it was probably purgatory. Interesting. Because I had never had a category for that either in my life. You were either, You were either forgiven by Jesus hundred percent with, you know, he removes your sins as far as you from the East is from the West and you were completely cleansed because it's finished on the cross or you were going straight to hell because you rejected the gospel. There wasn't this category for people who were headed to heaven, but needed further purification. That, that was, that was a tougher thing to for me to um, work through.
0: Yeah. And, I think purgatory as a whole is a, a maybe has gotten a bad rap as well because me even shows how uh, great I was educated in Catholicism but I even I thought purgatory was this in between place like it wasn't like a heaven or it wasn't hell and until like diving more into the faith It's like oh no this is a process that you're you're going to heaven you're going to be there it's just the purification so how did you kind of knock away that understanding or sort of come to grips with with it?
1: Well, there were a couple of things that were important to that. The first thing to understand is I had come to a point where I had accepted the papacy and the authority of the church. So I think that for everybody, that's key because there will always be things that you're going to struggle with or be unsure about. And if you have to, to to like intellectually understand everything perfectly before you can become Catholic, then a lot of people get stuck with that. So there's this element of trust and saying, okay, just because I don't understand this and I'm struggling with it doesn't mean that there isn't an answer out there. And it doesn't mean that, that, that the church is wrong and I'm right. Okay. Look at how many times I've had my mind changed. So, (laughs) so they have to have like a sense of humility before the church and say, okay, well, well, okay. Because I believe the truth of the church, then this has to be true, whether it makes sense to me or not. So there's that, that kind of humility that goes along with it. But as far as actually helping me to understand it better, I read a book by a guy named uh, James Cardinal Gibbons called the faith of our fathers. And that was a great book for me. And there, in his chapter about purgatory, he really connects it to things that are, that are factually true and helps us to go there. And, and what, what I mean by that is, is it is factually true that the Jews prayed for their dead. That's, I mean, you can think purgatory is a doctrine of demons, but you have to admit that the Jews prayed for their dead. That's a factually true thing. So why? You know, and then you can go to those texts in Maccabees and, and those different things about why it's a good and righteous thing to pray for the dead that they may be loosed for their, from their sins. So once you start realizing the, the, the reality of the practice of the people of God from before Jesus even walked the earth of praying for their dead and how that has continued up through the, the centuries, it makes you kind of go, okay, well, why would they do that? Why would they pray for their dead? What can, what can dead people gain from someone's prayers? And that book really helped me kind of get it out of the mindset of this is antithetical to the gospel to no Keith, maybe you just don't have a big enough understanding of things. And of course, there's that text where Paul talks about, um, where, where he, where he talks about escaping through the flames um, one who's being tested as as his, as the works of his life are being tested by fire, that if what he's built um, does not withstand, you know he's built with 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 perishable things, that he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through fire, and that's something I never had a category for as a Protestant. I never really understood what that means, and it doesn't. It's not because I never tried. It's not because I didn't listen to pastors or read commentaries or didn't look into it. It's just none of those explanations really made sense of it for me. Um, but when I started to import a Catholic understanding to it, then it like was like right there.
0: Great. That's um, That makes a lot of sense. And I think the key of all of this is just being humble enough to realize that maybe I don't quite understand everything but at least now that you know that there's other things that have been knocked away you can have that humble mindset of accepting that I'm not going to understand this right now maybe it shouldn't stop me from being a part of this faith and maybe I should just accept that in due time I'll understand it more and more um how cuz I know it, it you were a pastor for close to 20 years 22 and you, 22, yeah. and you were you had a family, you have multiple kids and I'm sure that was difficult for your wife and your kids who grew up in that environment. so what was that like for you when you were converting and um, what were their their um, I guess hesitations
1: well it was it was it was hard and exciting for me um, but I would just say it was just hard for them. Mm-hmm. So it was hard for everybody, but there was also this joy that I was experiencing, but they were not experiencing that. They mm-hmm. were like freaked out. They didn't understand. They're like, why is this happening? What What are you doing? And so that made it really challenging because those consequences are real. You know, people talk about, well, if I become Catholic, what about my family? What about this? I'm going to lose my friends, my, you know, my income, all that. Yeah, that's all real. You know, that's tough. And th- you can only do the best you can to work through those things. And focus on trusting God and believing that if you seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness, then everything you need will be added unto you. And so when you recognize the truth of the Catholic faith, whatever it is that you have to live through to to acquire that, it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And I, I talk to people all the time, Adam, that are in that situation where they're like, okay, I believe the Catholic Church is true. But man, my wife doesn't want to become Catholic. My kids will freak out. I'll lose my job. What am I going to do? So I guess I can't become Catholic. And I, I always say, well, no. You have to this is really going to test your discipleship. If the reason why you can't become Catholic is rooted in your self-preservation, then you know, I'm reminding I remind people of what Christ said. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses it for my sake will find it. It's amazing how many of these deep theologians forget all about basic discipleship when their lives are li- are on the line um, or they're gonna lose some friends or make some people mad or have some family dynamics. And I- I'm probably not the best ear for that because I I had to walk through that. And so for me, on one hand, I, I have sympathy and understanding for guys that are in that spot because I was there for a long time. But at the same time, when people make it seem like, well, you can't become Catholic then, I just kind of said, well, Yes, you can. You just you just have to decide what's truly important. And it's it's not all gonna be laid out in an easy path for you in that situation. You're gonna have to suffer for it. You're gonna have to sacrifice for it. And and I certainly I certainly did. Now, I don't tell people to feel sorry for me because I, I I feel grateful. My only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. My, my I never had a regret that I became Catholic and blew up everything in my life. My regret was I didn't do it earlier, because um, I think it would have made things easier if I had done it earlier. Um, having said that, you know the story's not over. We're we're still on a journey. We're still processing this as a family. You know, my wife came into the church when I came in, and my kids are on their own journey, and and um, you know there are things happening there, but it's it's we're not done yet so but it was hard it was it was challenging and still continues to be challenging but it was totally worth it
0: that's that's great to hear probably for other people that are listening that are still struggling with that idea of converting they they feel like it's true they're almost there but it's just the the worldly aspects that are holding them back and i actually wanted to touch on a little bit um with your, your wife because you've told about the, the the beautiful story about her difficulties with conversion and i could sort of relate since it sounds like she was a, a cradle catholic like myself yeah um, and, and she grew up rel- it sounds like relatively close to where i was um but d- do you want to touch on a little bit of how it was just hard for her to come into the faith. And then she had like this beautiful,
1: uh, this, this beautiful moment. Well, yeah, it was really hard for her because, you know, she left Catholicism because of me, although she wasn't Catholic because she wanted to be Catholic. It was just how she was brought up. So it wasn't hard for her to walk away from her Catholic faith, but it was certainly hard for her to go back to it because she had a lot of baggage from that, from that, her upbringing with that, and she lost a lot from a worldly perspective, you know, I mean, our family was super tight. And then now all of a sudden, now we're all divided. My kids didn't want to come to mass. So mom and dad are now going to mass and the kids are like, what do we, what do we do? And they were teenagers at the time. So they were kind of on their own and we told them, look, you don't have to do this. Um, and they, you know, they, they came to mass, but they were just like, this is boring, you know, which was really, really hard for her. And she struggled for a long time. And it was a, you know, a period of months before, she would go to mass and not, not, you know, cry, but she was working through that. And God finally just was like, look, are you going to pay attention to what I'm doing? Or are you going to just have a pity party for yourself? And she started to open her eyes and, and pay attention to things in the mass. And it really, be it really started coming to life for her. Um, but like all of us, she had to have her own experience in her own journey. You can't just latch onto somebody else on their journey and hang on for dear life. We've all got to own our faith for ourselves. And God was working on her in that. And she had an incredible experience in the confessional one day that really blew all that up for her. And, and, and after that, it was, she was all in. It's just but that was about a year later. You
0: <laughs> yeah. know? I, it's funny how uh, some people, it's like God gently guides people, but it sounds like your wife, your, <laughs> God was just open your eyes to see what's right. I just see, he probably knows what's what's best for people to to see um what's going on around and in the mass too just the oh for sure yeah everything and i'm sure that's probably um very disorienting for a lot of protestants to go into a mass to not understand everything that's quite happening and um and then coming from a, pre, a Protestant mass, and then it's probably or a Protestant service, I should say, and then it's probably a little difficult. And then it, it sounded like from that process, because if I'm not mistaken, you both were going to uh mass, and then also to a Protestant service. uh at, at a certain point, you were going back to back.
1: Well, kind of. So we we weren't doing that for us, uh but there there was a there was a, a short period of time. So I was like, you know had basically zero income at the time. And one of our best friends who was, you know, he was the pastor that I kind of cut my teeth in ministry with for 13 years. They, they lived in our same town here where we had lived together. Um, and he, he was pastoring a little church that was kind of a startup church. And he said, Keith, I know you're Catholic. I know where you're at, but you know, we need somebody to come in here and lead worship. Um, you know, in between people, would you be willing to help us out? We'll pay you some money to do that. So there was a, there was a couple of, I don't know, several months, maybe, maybe not that long, but where, where we would go to mass and then we would go and we would just sing a couple of praise and worship songs at my buddy's church. Um, And, you know, some people might look at that and they'd turn their nose about that and say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, your wife is wrestling with being Catholic and now you're, you know, you're still whatever. The truth is, Uh, and we love our friends dearly. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything like they have a good little church, but like that experience of going from mass and we were going to the Latin mass, going from Mm -hmm. the Latin mass to a Protestant little church plant in a, in a elementary school cafeteria with acoustic guitars. And we would sing these worship songs. And then my friend would get up and preach these messages about Jesus. You would think that that would be the worst thing in the world for somebody like my wife who is wrestling with this new cat that she would just be like oh this is what i want this is why are we doing this catholic thing can't we just do this can i just do the opposite effect is what i was seeing we would go to mass have this have this incredible experience at mass and then we would go to our friend's church who we loved and the people were great but what was happening was she, especially she, but both of us were realizing that it just became so apparent that there was something missing, you know, we weren't like going, Oh man, thank God we get to go to this contemporary worship service in the Protestant church. Cause Catholic churches, we would, we, we drive away. We just like, man. And I remember my wife one time saying to me, she's like, Keith, it just, it just, she says that that just doesn't feel like church to me anymore. You know? It just doesn't feel like church to me anymore, you know. She goes, "It's it's 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 nice. It's a good little gathering. They're they love Jesus. They're they're beautiful people that have a, a genuine faith." But she's like, "It's just not like Mass." And I I just remember going, "Whoa, this is heavy. I can't believe she's saying this." You know, I was feeling that a hundred percent. Like I was super uncomfortable, and I was like trying to do that to serve other people and whatever. And I, and I knew it was just temporary. Um, and um, you know, there came a point in time where our Catholicism sort of butted heads with, with that. And they were basically like, okay, um, because they had asked me to actually preach a couple of times there to fill in. And, and I did. And I, you know, I kept it pretty general Christianity kind of stuff. But there was a sermon I preached one. I don't even remember what it was about. Where I think I I allowed some some of my Catholicism (laughs) to creep in a little bit more than they were comfortable with, and that was kind of the end of our time there. With as far as that goes, which was okay. Um, But you know, we're still great friends. I still support them. But it wasn't as if that we were like living in both worlds equally. She wanted to go to the Protestant church, and I was making her do that. It it wasn't like that. Um, And the reality is, like it was the the longer we did that, I think that helped her become more in love with being catholic
0: yeah and i think there's something to the, the mass as a whole and just cuz there's a lot i think to the we talk about like the truth and the knowledge and understanding all the history behind the church but there's also the the beauty of the mass and the beauty of the reverence that can speak to somebody and and once you finally go to a, a mass of any kind really usually it, it's uh it kind of speaks to your soul in a certain way where this feels like this is what worship actually is for how God would want to be worshiped. And that's something that I took away because when I would slowly work my way back, I was like, let's just go to a Catholic mass just because I grew up with that. And then you realize like, Oh wow, this is so much more reverent. This is so much more uh, beautiful than a lot of the, uh, the experience when we were, you know, bouncing around different uh, Protestant uh, churches just to – because, you know, that we were still not – we were still trying to be comfortable, so to speak, instead of being uncomfortable, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, But I'm just now going to segue over to you. You're now a Catholic, and you took up the the rosary devotion um, pretty – intensely it seems like because uh, you've been apparently I I, I'm sure it's still going this streak, but you've been doing it since March 18th of 2020. Still going, still going. You pray the rosary every day, uh, a live stream. I've been able to hop in a few of those, which I I really love um, because I've been getting more into that devotion and it's been incredible. And um, what actually drew you into uh, starting that devotion?
1: Well, Um, you know, I'd been praying the rosary kind of on my own as a, as, as I was coming into the church, but it was really when the pandemic hit, I jumped on YouTube and did a live stream. Um, and somebody on my YouTube channel, live stream was like, Hey, can we pray the rosary on your YouTube channel? Will you lead us? And I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I can do that, but I thought I'll give it a try. So we hopped on the next day, which was March 18th, 2020 and started doing it. And I mean, We had nobody, nobody said, this is a one-time thing. Eventually I said, I'm going to do this for two weeks because that's when the pandemic will be done. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) obviously it wasn't. So we just kept going. We just kept going and this little group just grew and it really became the center of our world. And it it's, 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 it's going on four years now. (laughs) It's crazy. That's
0: that's impressive. It's like a little toddler in and of itself. (laughs) It it is. It is. (laughs) So what, um, Uh, you you take part you talk about this in your in your book of the 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 spiritual fruits of the the rosary and what have you seen in your life starting this devotion what have you seen your spiritual growth while doing this
1: oh man so many things i mean i i've i've never prayed more in my life i've never been felt closer to the lord more in my life i've i've i mean i just feel like the victory that you can have over over sin in your life when you when you submit yourself to the rosary is huge now of course we're all still sinners but i i have i have seen a level of victory over that than i than i I've, like i've never seen in my life and i don't owe that up to keith being anything special at all cuz i'm the same person but there i'm telling you there is there is something powerful and real about the grace that comes to us from praying the rosary every day i mean I've I've lived it and, and it's, it's incredible. So it's, it's really helped me in a lot of my life. Um, it's helped kind of temper my, my personality a little bit, you know, from going to just like the, the, you know, cause I could be, I can get really worked up or I can get really, really down, you know, I'm not like bipolar or anything like that, but mm-hmm. like, it's, it's just, it's just helped me to be like, feel centered in the Lord almost all the time. And it's that daily touch point with Jesus and Mary that has, that has, it's, I don't know. I think it's probably like the, the difference in a person who works out, I don't know, maybe once a month versus three times a week. If you work out once a month, you'll get to a certain level of health. But every time you go back, you're going to kind of be a little bit sore. You're gonna to have to work out the kinks, but if you're doing that consistently, it just sort of feeds you, you know, and and it just mm-hmm. becomes part of who you are. And 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 to me, that's that's what it's like with praying the rosary.
0: And uh, this is something that I learned. Um, I never knew, like growing up, it's, it seems like it's a constant trend that I'm saying I never knew this growing up. But I know my my grandma who had a, a rosary of her own. She would be praying it, and I never knew like the the aspects of it, how you're meditating. While you're also praying that the rosary encompasses the Bible and all the mysteries it, it, it contains and it allows you to kind of grow and uh, be in, in that environment. And in, that is something that I have learned recently, and it's been really amazing. So I try to do the rosary, what I do, because I struggle with focusing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can be all over the place so for me it's i I get the best focus is actually i'm like i have it listening um i'll pray it along with somebody that's a youtube video or hallow or whatever i I find that day and i'll do it actually on the the treadmill where i'm like i can able to focus i'm actually my body's moving so my body doesn't need any more attention or whatnot yeah allows me to (laughs) to get into it and uh it kind of allows me to tune out all the stuff and um, do you have any advice for uh, people out there that are getting into this? What What would your advice be to somebody that's new to to wanting to get into the rosary, but also it, it kind of seems overwhelming as well?
1: Yeah, I think my advice is to <clears throat> set a time when you know you're going to do it. Don't just don't just go. All right, I'm going to pray the rosary tomorrow. When I don't know, I'll figure it out when I can or when I'm driving down the road. Or or whatever. Not that it's bad to pray the rosary driving down the road, but I think that if you are brand new to it and you're just starting to get into it, that's not the ideal, right? The ideal is a time when you can be quiet and focused and not distracted. For a lot of us, the only way we're going to get that is if we intentionally make it happen. So I would say be intentional about carving things out. And depending on your personality, it may be more helpful for you to do it with others. It may be more helpful to do it on your own. You know, figure figure out what works best for you. But if you are going to do it with others, make sure you're in a in a situation where it's not distracting to you, where it's helpful. Praying the rose with other people is sometimes the worst idea, because there are some people the way they pray it is so, you know. Brrrr. <laughs> it's like super fast super loud super or it's like super quiet and super slow and you're just like man i'm falling asleep listen to this person pray and you know the reality is there's no wrong way to do it you just have to figure out what works for you so if you just want to like boom pray the rosary then maybe use an app or whatever figure it out until you can get into that um but if you want to pray with other people find a group of people that you can pray with that it's going to be helpful. Um. So it's really it's kind of a personal thing. So the I, the only hard and fast rules are don't get frustrated with yourself if you do lose focus, don't give up out of out of that, just don't get discouraged, just keep going and and it'll it'll work out.
0: That's that's great advice because there's many times where I'm frustrated myself where I uh, I'm saying that saying going through it and i'm like wait what what were we meditating on again I, my my want mind wanders away and that's why now i've sort of found something that clicks with me which is like doing the treadmill so then i don't yeah. focus on my body I, or my thoughts i just focus on the the, the meditation of it all do you have a, a specific uh mystery that you like to meditate on the most like is there something that always like brings something out of you yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, that that changes a lot depending on what's going on in my own life at the time or what's on my mind. So, you know, the sorrowful mysteries are always, always really powerful to me. Um, And, and I really, and I know like some people freak out, but I I really love the luminous mysteries too. I I love, (laughs) I love thinking about the transfiguration and the intercession of Mary at the wedding of Cain. I mean, so I love them all, but I would say if I, if I, you put me on a desert island and say you can only pray one set of the mysteries of the rosary it'd probably be the sorrowful
0: mm, interesting is it is there a reason why like yeah that, i that? think
1: because because for me faith is about walking with christ and when we pray the sorrowful mysteries we're on that journey of the passion we start in the in the agony of the garden and we walk all the way through the events of the passion until we get to the cross and and we're invited to join the Lord in that journey. And I always like try to put myself in that place of being there, walking with him through that, seeing what he's done and trying in some way to console him, you know, in the garden Mm -hmm. and to, uh, you know, in some way both help carry the cross like Simon, the Cyrene and also, um, be forgiven as he says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And weep not for me, but for yourselves and for your children. Like that whole journey is just so powerful to me.
0: Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I, one of the ones that I uh, enjoy is just the um, Jesus in the temple. And you put a kind of <laughs> well, when you talk about that of how, uh, if you need to find, jesus all you all you have to do is go back to the church just mm-hmm. the idea of just repentance and coming back and he's always going to be there that's just he's going to be in his father's house. like it's a, not even a, a second thought like this is where i obviously am uh, and i always like meditating on that because when i struggle or as a, s- a sinner that i am a wretched person that i am it's it's always nice to have that idea it's like, yeah, this is where you need to go if you're trying to be with jesus that's where where he will be he's not going to be anywhere else and i think that was been something that i love um meditating on a lot and uh and i i just commend the book that you put out because that helped me understand oh thank each you of the so di- much each of the different uh mysteries i highly recommend if someone's doing the rosary that check out your um unpacking uh the rosary um book um it'll be in the description all the All the stuff that you do because you do so many (laughs) different podcasts out there, and I I really love listening to your. Oh, thank you so much, Adam. I really
1: appreciate that.
0: That, yeah, the Unpacking the Mass is really good. I recommend for a lot of people to check out Unpacking the Mass, especially it helps, as you've said, it helps illuminate what the the next uh, Mass is going to be talking about, the gospel readings. And that has been useful for myself and my wife as we go to Masses going through the readings and unpacking it and being able to
1: meditate on that. Oh, that, that makes me very, very happy to hear that. Awesome. And then
0: I'm going to end it off with one final, very important question. Um, so I see that your son drew was mm-hmm. American Ninja warrior was national finalist. And a question I ask is, uh, when are we gonna see Keith on American ninja Warrior? are you training with your son to be on there?
1: You'll see me on the sidelines, but not <laughs> so he'll be on season sixteen that's coming up and and uh, awesome twenty twenty four it's it. already filmed but but um, they haven't aired it yet, so they'll air that, and he'll be on that but i was not I, I was on the screen because I was at a parish <laughs> mission um but as far as me training yeah i went to, I went to one class with him um a few months ago it was like a basic beginner class. He's like, dad, will you just do this once with me? And I was like, sure. And man, <laughs> I tell you what, that was so challenging and so difficult. You know I mean? And, and I work out, I mean, i I lift weights and stuff like that, but that's a whole nother I'm level of, of skill and strength you have to have in order to do that. And I'm just, I don't have it, man. I mean, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm, a, I'll be 50 years old pretty soon. So it's like, I ain't doing that, but I, I brought him, he was home for Christmas and I took him to the, the gym I go to, Mm-hmm. To go to to do some lifting, and we said, we went to, on the pull-up bar, and you know my son drew he doesn't lift weights at all, um he grabs the pull-up bar and he's just busting out one arm pull-ups <laughs> too arms just boom, one arm, and I'm mm-hmm. like, man it's a it's another level, but yeah, those guys are they're insanely uh strong and talented athletes, and we're so proud of Drew, I mean, just getting to see him live his dream. That's, I mean, he's been watching that show since he was a little boy, and we'd watch every episode with him. The Japanese one, in the too. The backyard, and what's that?
0: The Japanese one, too. I remember oh, watching Oh, yeah, that I watched it, it all. Yeah.
1: Like my boys, and but you know, we, so that's been a big part of our life has been American Ninja Warrior. So to him to make the show and then do so well has been that's awesome.
0: That's impressive. That's very yeah. impressive. Uh, I, I don't know. Imagine the amount of training that, <laughs> that goes into that. I don't know. I don't even know if I could handle even one day, one hour, one thirty 30 minutes of the training. Um, it's exhausting. I'm telling you <laughs> from personal experience. Okay. Um, is there, uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to, um, one thing that I like to do is uh, maybe if there's anybody out there listening, is there like tips on improving their prayer life or how they can uh, grow in their connection with the faith in the church as a whole?
1: Well, I think, I think you just have to. Start with where you are and work on taking a step to improve that. You know, don't, don't look at these big saints and go, how can I be like that? Because you'll get frustrated. Start with what you can do. And I always say that, you know, like, what are some things that you can do that you're not doing? And just pick one and start working on that. Beautiful. I completely agree.
0: Thanks again, Keith, for being on the podcast. This was great.
1: My pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey guys, thank you for watching this video. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. I always enjoyed all the interviews that I do. If you are new to this channel or this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel, whichever way you are watching it. If you are on podcast platforms, listen up listen. I would like you to subscribe, obviously, and then leave the podcast a five-star review, whether you are on Spotify or whether you are on Apple Podcasts. That helps the podcast grow. And as always, just share this podcast with your friends and family. Also share this YouTube video if you just want to share the YouTube video as well. If you're here on YouTube, that is the best way we can grow this community as a whole. And go to adambuckingham.locals.com if you want to join the community and also support the podcast. So hopefully we can do bigger and better things and have bigger and better interviews I can interact with all of you all on a one-to-one basis. So go do that. And until next time, I hope you have a blessed week. Bye.